how do you make sure you keep your writing and its highest quality as your number one priority while still maintaining an aggressive focus on marketing so it sells the most possible copies? I'm the Reluctant Book Marketer, and on today's episode, that's exactly the question I'll be answering with my interview guest, Emily Anger. She has her own marketing company where she helps authors just like us to effectively get their book in front of new readers with the least possible energy so they can keep their efforts where they belong on creating a book. Please enjoy my interview with Emily Anger. Welcome to The Reluctant Book Marketer, the podcast for first-time novelists who want to sell millions of copies of their book. I'm your host, Jody J. Sperling, and like you, I am on the journey to publication. So together, we're going to learn from professionals in the industry who have aced marketing and made it so that it's not cringeworthy all the time. I'm reluctant to do it as well, but selling a million copies and not marketing don't fit. So we got to do what we got to do. I have kind of a long backstory in marketing for different industries, which I will will spare your audience the long version. But right before I went freelance for authors to do marketing for authors, I was a communications director at a regional arts nonprofit. So I worked with all types of creative people. And so that was visual artists, and authors. Uh, So arts is kind of the broad term, right? And when I decided to stay home and uh, raise my kids, I had two little kids at the time. I still do. They're very young still. Um, Some of the connections I had made there with the authors kind of followed me home. uh, And some, some authors asked me, hey, would you be willing to do stuff like this at a freelance capacity? So that's how I started and pretty quickly realized that when you do marketing for authors, it does not work as well as when an author does it themselves. So I then pivoted after trying to to do marketing for authors for a while, I pivoted to being a marketing coach for authors. Tell me why you think there's a distinction between marketing for somebody and having somebody do their own marketing. We are living in a day and age where people are used to access to the people they want to talk to, including even celebrities to a certain degree. Um, Whether that's good or bad, I will leave for your audience to decide themselves. But nonetheless, um, the public expects to be able to to meet even virtually, you know, the author behind this book that they love. So that could be through a Facebook page, through a newsletter, through attending the event or reading the author gives. But but what the audience is looking for is is they want to speak to the genius who made this world that they have fallen in love with. They don't want to speak to a go-between, in-between middleman. You have a unique concept too here because there's there's a sense that you can go drastically one way and, and take hold of all the marketing yourself and be on all day long and fully accessible by every reader that comes your way or uh, you can go the opposite direction and and barely have anything on any of the social media platforms and nobody can find you. Um, you have a concept, and I'm not going to probably phrase it exactly right, but sort of the just enough approach. Um, talk a little bit about that approach. So I somewhat tongue-in-cheek named my coaching group Good Enough Book Marketing. Um, 
because I wanted authors to know that there is a way to play the marketing game that is good enough to make a profit. I'm not saying we're lazy about it, but is not all consuming and allows them to still be a writer first and foremost. There's this lie right now that you have to be all the places, you have to do all the shiny new things, whether that's social media or something else. Um, We see all these success stories. Maybe you subscribe to some of the trade publications, say Publishers Weekly or something, and you see an author profiled who just did this, you know, it had had tons of sales from a certain uh, certain angle they took. And you think you have to repeat that too now to get the same thing. So, So it just puts this pressure on writers to be all the things all the time. And that leads to, quite frankly, mediocre art because suddenly an author's attention is too divided. I know creative people. My background is creative people. I am a writer myself. The the art piece is already more than a full-time job. Being a writer is is a lifestyle, right? I, I joke that being a writer is like being a parent. Like once you are one, you are that forever. You're never off the clock. So writing is already taking up a huge, huge amounts of your brain space. So I try to teach authors, okay, what do you have to do? Because this is the day and age we live in and you have to market some to certain degrees, but what, how can you do it in a way that fits into your life instead of turning you into a new person? So you had talked uh, earlier about the idea of being a coach, and that's really appealing right now because I know for myself that it can be difficult to decide where to put that energy. Um, When you're in a coaching position, what are the first things you look at to decide where to focus the energy for the writer? The first thing I always look at is what they are already doing. So I will do a little analysis on, first of all, their, their actual book or books themselves, you know, the genre, the presentation, where those books are for sale, um, all the background pieces. Uh, but then I also take a look at, at what they are doing for marketing. Do they have a website and has that website been updated? Which social media platforms do they use and are they using them to the most effective way possible? Um, and then usually there's some time spent updating those things for an author before you're ready to push your book forward you have to make sure that you look as professional as possible because it it's a disservice to you for me to help you get more visibility if you're not ready for that visibility i really like that idea of being ready for it so one of the questions that i i had was what if i'm an author who doesn't have a book and i don't think that i'm going to publish in the next year should i still be marketing technically yes But with the good enough approach, um, I I temper that a little bit. If if you're not even a year out from your book, that means you are in the throes of the writing phase, right? You are deep into the creation of this story, and that is where your energy needs to be. The only piece that I would say you should start thinking about with marketing is what community looks like for you with that book. Right. As you're creating that book, you are coming up with themes, you're coming up with characters right then and there as you're in that phase. And so I would start thinking about what messaging you are going to be communicating eventually with that book. And you can start talking like an expert about that messaging today like that you can do because marketing has just become community building these days like that's what it is for an author so you can be on 
Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever your social media drug of choice is. Um, and, and you can be talking about those same themes in other ways, even though the book isn't out yet. And that will start to grow your audience so that when the book is out, you already have an audience who's ready for that topic. Do you feel that there is a best social media outlet for writers? I do not. I, I uh, try very hard to not be... Uh, to not prejudice any of my writers one way or another when it comes to a platform, because depending on the topic of your book, that's going to look quite different for you, depending on your own age, what you're comfortable with is going to look quite different for you. And depending on your target audience, that also is going to change, right? So I think that writers, first you figure out what your ideal audience is because that's who you're talking to and you go where they are. So that might not be your favorite social media platform, but you have to put your writers first and then yourself is second, you know? So let's say, for example, you write something that would play well on TikTok. You don't really love TikTok. It's a little out of your comfort zone. I would still recommend trying it just to see if you like it. Now, if ultimately like you just can't do it and I am talking to myself here, I tried TikTok, couldn't do it. Uh, that's fine. Go to Instagram, which is almost TikTok <laughs> these days. Uh, try that instead, kind of, you know, back up a step. But you have to prioritize the reader first and go where they are if you're going to profitably market your books. How do you feel about repurposing content? Because what I've been doing, and, and I will say too, TikTok is not somewhere where I'm very effective yet. I'm trying it because I, I understand the benefits of the organic reach could be really, really good. Uh, once I have a book ready for people to buy, you can you can reach people. And they like, I don't even get how that algorithm works. So there's a payoff, but golly, it's not, it's not a lot of fun to make videos. How, how does uh, <laughs> repurposing content fit into your coaching strategies? I think repurposing content is actually quite genius. Uh, so my coaching strategy is all about saving the author time so that they can write. Do you know how much quicker it is to share something somebody else made on your page than actually create an entire video and put thought behind it and you know consider the, the cultural moment and, and all these pieces that go into creating these really short videos um, or any other type of post, of course, too. This applies across the board. Uh, so for sure, absolutely repurpose content, but of course we are writers always, always, always make sure that you give credit to the original creator. And when you're just hitting the, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're just hitting a share button, it does that for you. But if you say, want to create graphics through Canva that have a quote that you love or something, just, just make sure you attribute that. Also, how about, uh, if I'm on Facebook and Instagram, do you have your authors use the same post that they put on Instagram and share it maybe on their Facebook story? Or when do you feel like that becomes overload or ineffective or doesn't really meet what people are looking for on that particular platform? I always recommend sharing the same post across platforms. It is true that that is less organic than for each platform. But again, if, if we're looking at a good enough strategy, then repurpose your own content. 100% absolutely do it. 
that's not genius marketing. That's not intensive marketing. That's just good enough marketing, but good enough is good enough. I have Facebook and Instagram are the two platforms that I like the best. Um, I have my husband and I have a business, not writing a, a different business that um, we, we utilize Instagram and Facebook to get our business off the ground. Um, that's how we grew it. And we, are, we start on Instagram and have it feed over into Facebook but our Facebook still gets tons of traffic on the same posts, even though they were originally created for Instagram. Yeah, I've I found that sharing across platforms with the same posts works okay. I get very different types of people who interact with the same post, and that seems to to be pretty effective. If I'm if I'm hitting the same people, then I know something's not quite right. Here's a question I have for you, and it's live in the moment, something that's happening to me. Um, I found out that. Twitter is a highly effective place for me to do my work. I know exactly how to interact on Twitter. But then I started realizing I have no presence on Instagram. And there are people that I really need to reach out to that are only on Instagram uh, or Instagram and TikTok. So what I started to do is, as best as I can, port some of my followers from Twitter over to Instagram. They have recognition of my profile pic. Uh, and, and so I use that to just do a cold follow and a comment on something they're doing. How much do you do that? Because you said you don't want people to be running on all different channels that they really want to focus on, on maybe one. How important is it to try to capture people in multiple places? Is that effective in your experience or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it is. It is effective. What will happen, uh, it would not be effective if, let's say, all of your followers on Instagram were identical people to your followers on Twitter. That would not be effective. But what you are doing when you bring some of those Twitter followers over to Instagram is you're making your Instagram following bigger. You're making your Instagram page bigger, which means it's going to be rewarded in the Instagram algorithm which means Instagram is going to show it to new people, right? So by repeating some of your, your followers, you're, you're also finding new people. And that's the, the piece that makes it useful. Um, it's also not super hard to, to recreate and repurpose your own content like you're doing across platforms. There have been big names that are massively successful on Instagram Literally, all they do is screenshot their tweets from Twitter and repost them as images, right? And they're they're usually quotes that are bite-sized and shareable. So, like, they just blow up on Instagram because, I mean, I share stuff like that all the time on my Instagram stories. And that's how these people grew their Instagram. Yeah, it's it's brilliant and it's frustrating if you are if you're not on the successful side of that to watch it and be like, oh, gosh, I can't believe I didn't think about that. Uh, so talk to somebody who has not yet even started to do good enough marketing. Maybe they feel frustrated. They thought if they wrote the best book possible that people would find it, read it, love it, be loyal. Uh, what, what do you say to somebody like that? First of all, I give you a big virtual hug because I think all writers, all writers have had this happen. Um, I would say even successful writers at some point in their career had that happen. Um I grew up thinking that I could be the writer that kind of went into the cabin in the woods and just, you know, focused solely on craft. I, and I still believe in that, by the way, there, there's a, a saying called create art for art's sake, which means focus on the craft and not the audience. And it might sound counterintuitive coming from a marketer, but I actually still believe that that is how you create art, right? You, you create it from inside your soul. And, and you put what is inside of you on the page, regardless of whether other people are going to like it. 
So you did it right. That's what I would tell them. Like you did it the right way. Now we just need to help you pivot um, to take this craft focused um, piece of art that you've created. Cause I believe books are art pieces of art and, and bring it to an audience. And that, and that is possible. You haven't failed because you didn't start marketing back earlier. Um, we'll just do it now instead. And I would encourage them to say that if you, if you really just focused on your book, ideally, and hopefully it means that you have the best book that you could have created, which means competitively, once we get it into the marketplace, your book will hopefully do really well in its genre, possibly better than other books in its genre, because you wrote something that was true for you and you wrote it without distraction when other people did not. So you actually do have a leg up and we should capitalize on that and take advantage of that. I really like that idea. I, I enjoy the process of making art for art's sake. Um, one thing that I find myself pushing back against, and it's more of a community point of view, is the idea of writing for yourself. Um, I think I think that there can be a sense where artists use that particular, writers use that particular phrase abusively in saying, hey, if you thought about your readers or if you wrote to a market or a genre and you followed the genre conventions because you knew that that would make it easier to sell, that you did something wrong. And I'm not hearing you say that at all. I think what I am hearing you say is that it is so important to really do your best work, not what you think somebody else wants. Because if you try to write what someone else wants, you fail everybody. Do talk to me about that turning point when it is time to take something deeply personal to you and move it out into the community. How do you know who actually likes it? Because here's the deal. My wife is my biggest supporter in every way, but she does not enjoy my writing. She just doesn't. It's, a, it's too graphic for her. It's not romantic enough for her. There's all kinds of things I'm not doing for her. And if I thought just because she liked me, she'd like my writing, I wouldn't find my audience. How do you know who your audience is? Oh, what a great question. First, thank you for that clarification because it is 100% true and needs to be stated that you did not do something wrong if you wrote through conventional norms. And in fact, um, there's a lot of writers who run up against incredible writer's block because they feel the pressure to be too profound because of these stereotypes, right? That if they just did it the conventional way, they're not a quote, real writer. Um, and that's terrible. So thank you for, for pointing that out. Um, so how to find your audience? Oh, the million dollar question, right? So first you have to find what are your comp titles. We call them in the industry, which is your comparable titles. Uh, as much as we all think we're writing something original, there's no such thing. Everybody else has also tackled books that are like yours. So you're going to need to go follow authors who are writing in your genre and tap into their audience. Now, you're not stealing their audience. This is, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, it's, it's, this is an industry that isn't really competitive because nobody's going to not read somebody else's book because they read yours or vice versa. In fact, they're going to, because they read, you know, author X, they want to read author Y if they write something similar. So you want to find people who are like you, who, who are in your genre, authors who are in your genre, and you want to start just engaging with them sign up for their newsletters, go to their book events. Um, if they do any kind of Zoom readings or uh, 
workshops, attend them, start conversations with some of the other people who are attending those places, um, you know, in the chat, uh, follow them obviously on social media and leave comments and, and share their stuff and start a back and forth with people. And that's, that's where you're going to find people who are, are, who are like your book. The other option, the other thing is just to realize that the more you post on social media about content that is similar to your topic, also the more people who would like that are going to follow you through hashtags as well as other searches. Yeah, it's a, an interesting thing that um, the algorithms themselves are either our friends or our enemies. And I have seen and happen in my own life that if I watch enough cat videos, all I get are cat videos. And that can make it difficult to discover new content. So mm -hmm. that first moment of finding the right content is so important. And being, well, let me, let me ask you, have you ever suggested to somebody that they have like a separate profile for their marketing because of that? Or do you suggest that people are more careful about, about the way they browse? Is that part of your process? I suggest not specifically a separate profile for marketing, but but for their author presence, yes, yes. I have conversations with authors all the time about whether they want to use their personal profile as, you know, as their author page or create a business profile. I usually end up recommending they create a business one. Uh, on Instagram, it's called a creator account. You don't even need a business account. But on Facebook, it's it would be business. Twitter, you were just creating a, sec a separate, you know, account. What are the differences between uh, creator accounts? What can you do with a creator account that you can't do with a personal account? My absolute favorite thing as a marketer is that it gives you data on how your posts are doing, right? You can look at the traffic of your posts. You know how many people shared it. Um, which you don't see on Instagram specifically. Uh, Facebook, that shows up pretty automatically, but Instagram, you don't know how many people put your post on their stories unless you have a creator account. Now, you still don't know who did it because of privacy issues, but you know how many people shared a post. So you can know if you're doing something that is, that is playing well, that's popular, and then you can repeat it again. Um, also, the ability to advertise only exists if you are a creator or a business account. Advertising is a very limited strategy. I don't recommend like a ton of it, but it it is useful from time to time to do some targeted ads uh, as an author. And you can only do that if you have a creator account. Um, and then the third thing is this is not a difference per se, but you just look more professional. So so it, it, it makes people take you a little bit more seriously when they find you. Yeah, I'm chasing the, the coveted check mark on Twitter. That's, that's yeah, I want that so much. <laughs> um, I've got to convince someone to make a, a Wikipedia page about me first, and then we're, then we're oh, going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so you, you use the word advertising. Um, first, define for the listener the difference between marketing and advertising. Um, and then second, talk to me about when it's appropriate to move into advertising uh, while you've been marketing. Okay, so marketing is the broad term and advertising is simply a more specific term underneath the broad marketing umbrella. So advertising is specifically when you pay money to get your, um, to get your name, to get visibility in any way, right? So we think of it traditionally, like you take out an ad in a newspaper, there's a picture of your book with a couple of words and a headline, uh, but, but really anything that you pay money for and then they mention your book is advertising, sometimes called underwriting. Um, that's kind of, it, those are in the same category. 
those are pieces of marketing, but marketing is literally every step of getting visibility. So everything that's organic and not paid is still part of marketing if it is about getting visibility. So if you go on, um, uh, if you get featured in the newspaper, not that you paid for it, but you had a reporter feature you, that's still marketing. Or you, um, even you having your books in a bookstore, you sending out an email to your to your local bookstore saying, hey, would you, would you be interested in my books? Didn't cost you money. But that you're doing marketing at that moment. Uh, every event you do is marketing. You getting in the car and going to an event is technically in service of marketing your book. And then when is it appropriate, do you think, to turn on the, the, the financial faucet and start advertising? Okay, so I recommend what I would call small targeted advertising in your strategy. You certainly can go big and spend tons and tons of money. Um, and, and people have seen success with that. I don't want to deny that, but people have also lost a lot of money that way too. Um, let's talk specifically about social media marketing, just because, or excuse me, social media advertising, because advertising can get so big. Um, if you advertise on social media, so Facebook and Instagram, for example, um, you can do what's called a boosted post. So that means you pay money and your post shows up in front of new eyeballs. These are targeted posts, which means the social media platforms are only showing your post to people who would be interested in it. That is wonderful. The, the, the money waster in advertising in the olden days, the way it used to be, is if you took out an ad in your local paper, well, everybody in your community gets your local paper. Not everybody in your community is interested in your genre. Not everyone wants to read your book. With social media, you're, they're only showing that ad to people who would actually be interested. So that's, that's great. However, you are at that point targeting what's called a cold lead, um, meaning they're people who've never heard of you before. So all that ad is doing is creating awareness. The chances of somebody going from zero to a hundred in one ad that they saw as they scrolled past, you know, through their feed on social media. And, and we're like, oh, I'm going to buy this book now because this post just popped up of a book and an author I've never heard about. That's very, very rare. The most you're going to get, you're going to get a ton of traffic from that post. You're going to get a lot of likes on that post, which is great for you. That, that gives you a big boost. And a fraction of those people will actually follow you. Possibly not, not all of the people who even like the post are going to follow you. So what you have done there, your success was visibility, but your success was not sales. So when I recommend turning on advertising is when you are in need of visibility or, or a, an e, like a, just a little kind of tipping over, uh, over a goal, right? A little bit of a boost, then I recommend it. Uh, but if you are desperate to sell books, like you are financially, like you need book sales right now, there are actually much more effective ways than advertising. Um, so for example, Let's say you are sitting right under a, a, a big threshold to get to get your your check mark on on Twitter, right? And you know if you could just get 500 more followers, you'll get your check mark. That's when you take out an ad. Is when you're like, oh, I my I have this short term goal that I'm super close to, and and if I meet that goal, I'll be able to then use it for something else. That's when advertising is useful. I love that distinction. I haven't heard too many people talk about it that way before. And I really appreciate it because my next question was going to be, what if you're the person who spends the money on advertising and says, ah, well, I didn't see any bump in book sales or anything like that. Um, so 
having gotten that question out of the way, let's do move on to big picture. What's the most effective way to sell a book to a stranger? The most effective way to sell a book to a stranger is to make sure nobody's a stranger, (laughs) which is terrible news, isn't it? So there's something in, there's a phrase in kind of basic marketing. You'll, you, if you were to take, if you were to audit a marketing class today, I promise this would be on the first quiz. It's called the know, like, and trust factor. Okay. Which is this belief that people only buy from individuals or businesses that they know, like, and trust, right? So you, no one's going to buy your book if they don't know, like, and trust you. So when you say create that ad, let's, let's, you're taking, you're taking your audience on a journey. Let's say you start with an ad. You don't have to, but let's just say that that's how people find you. You've created awareness in that moment and you've got a new follower, but you still have to, to take them on a journey to getting to know you before they'll probably buy your book. Now, again, let's stick with the social media analogy since that's where we did the, adver- the advertising. You are developing that relationship on social media, right? You're, you're letting people get to see behind the curtain of who you are and you're developing that authenticity with them and that back and forth. And, and it means engaging with people. Don't just post and then not reply to some of the comments on your post, right? Try to at least follow some people back who follow you. Now, obviously, if you grow to a certain size, that's not possible. But to it, to whatever degree that it is, try to actually be building relationships with these audience members. And then eventually they will buy your book. There's something also called the rule of seven, which is this belief that it takes about seven interactions with a customer before they make a purchase. Most studies have disproven that to say it's much more than seven now. Um, it started off as the rule of seven. And so that's this belief that you, you've you got your readers maybe following you on social media. Everybody who's following you on social media has not purchased your book. So as you are talking about your book, you are, you are creating another moment of engagement with them, leading them along that path, along the no like and trust factor, along the rule of seven factor, until eventually there's going to be a moment they need a book. They are sitting in the dentist office and, you know, scrolling through the phone looking for ebooks, or they've got a, a, a birthday party coming up and they want to give your book as a gift. And, and now the, you're so much in the forefront of their mind. That's when they choose to go buy your book. Yeah, this is such an interesting and a confounding part of, of the process is when you are going out to sell. It, it, I've heard that rule of seven before. And then I think recently I heard somebody say that it's got to be seven hours. They have to accrue seven hours worth of time with you. I don't know if that's true. I think what we're seeing is that they continue to push that, that finish line further out because they realize you can't quite decide when a person decides to become a buyer. So the fastest, dirtiest example is I love Stephen King and I will eventually read everything that he writes, but I haven't bought the last two books that he wrote. I'm just not caught up yet. And there's other things that, that catch me uh, at, a, at a different moment. So um, it, it is a little bit confounding that you know that you can know, like, and trust somebody and still might not get the buy decision, but you can promise you won't get the buy decision if they don't know, like, and trust you. Yes. There is a, a, a woman on TikTok that I ran into just one of her videos, and it was so compelling and so genuine and such good, helpful, useful information that I immediately followed her and started promoting her to other people. I was like, you need to check this lady's account out. She's doing amazing stuff. Uh, how do you increase the, the chances that a single interaction can hit all three bells for somebody? 
you mentioned right in your example that she was sincere, right? Like that sincerity jumped off the page and it compelled you. Uh, I don't think everybody can create a piece of content that is perfect every time. Then we're getting past the good enough marketing and we're, you know, we're getting into like a career of marketing and even people who do that full time can't do that. But yes, if you want to do, if you want to hit all three pieces of the no like, and trust principle, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be sincere. Uh, it helps to speak to a particular cultural moment that doesn't have to be politics. That doesn't mean it has to be controversial, uh, but, but maybe something that, that a lot of people in the culture are feeling at the moment. Um, that helps as well. Um, and anything that you can do that is not arrogant, <laughs> because the internet is filled with arrogance right now, right? The internet is filled with opinions right now. So even though your post might have an opinion, can it have a humble opinion? Because no matter what your topic, I can promise you that people will gravitate toward that level of honesty and vulnerability and humility. Um, and that, that will just that will skyrocket. Are you familiar with Sharon McMahon of Sharon Says So? I'm not, I don't think. Okay, so she is a woman in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota, so shout out to some Minnesota influencers. And she had almost overnight success as um, on Instagram. And she's she's a former teacher, so she she literally just teaches about she teaches a lot about American history on her page. But she had a lot of overnight success because she started doing a lot of charitable work on her page. She started asking her followers for donations for somebody in her community that was going through a rough time and didn't have enough money, right? So she started a campaign to raise money. And when it worked so well, she just started doing it again. Um, and so she, her generosity is what, what just catapulted her platform. And you could tell because she didn't, she didn't set out to do that. Like she was hoping to make her audience about education, right? And American history. She accidentally stumbled on this thing people wanted, which was to be generous towards their neighbors, right? And so you knew she wasn't using generosity as a tool. You knew that it was real. And like, there's videos of her crying as the donations came in. And that that is what, that absolutely hit the no like and trust factor for millions of people. I just came across a quote this morning. In fact, it's on my feed for, for Twitter, I think later today, but serendipity is when you're going about your business, trying to accomplish something and you find what you're really meant to do. Um, it, yeah, this is strange. And it just it resonated deeply with me because I thought almost everything in my life was accidental. I just ran into something that really lit me up. And I think that's a, a cool part of her story uh, and, and a little nugget of truth tell all of my listeners where they can find you, uh, what it costs for coaching, because I, I'm, I saved the best for last. Uh, <laughs> and I, I want to make sure that people understand how unbelievably generous you are with what you're doing um, and how they can work with you. Well, thank you. So my coaching group, because it's an online an online platform, it's only $3 a month, one, two, three, less than a cup <laughs> of coffee per month to be part of my online community um, and go to emilyenger.com. And you will find all of the information there. Perfect. Alrighty. I will have link to the show notes or a link to you in my show notes. It was wonderful speaking with you. Thanks for agreeing to talk. And uh, I look forward to being in touch. Thanks so much, Jody. Take care. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a big favor right now. Click on the follow button in whatever podcast app you're listening on. That way you'll get notifications every time I drop a new episode. And if you still can't get enough, you can go to the show notes, click the link for my newsletter, and sign up today. I'll give you one to two interesting pieces of content every single month that you won't hear on the podcast or find laying around on the internet.